Hello, friends, and welcome to Building Tradition, where we tell stories from designers, builders, and artisans. History informs the future, and so do our guests. I'm your host, Pete Miller. In part three of our window series titled Historic Windows, Repair or Replace, we're talking to Sally Fishburne, window restorationist, mill worker, plasterer, educator, and owner of her own shop, which is attached to her old house, a house that was built in the late 1700s. Sally is a graduate of the prestigious North Bennett Street School of Preservation Carpentry, and she has a degree in architecture from Penn State University. She serves on two boards, Ben's Mill in Vermont and the Early American Industries Association. Welcome, Sally. Thank you for having me on. Delighted to be talking about old windows, a very important topic to me today. Well, you, you have a lot of tools in your historic preservation tool belt, from putty knives to plaster trowels. But let's talk first about the window restoration and replications you're doing in old houses and institutional buildings. Um, I have to ask, with all the new energy-saving glass products, new low-maintenance wood composite species, not to mention strict energy, hurricane, solar, and blast-proof glass requirements, why would anyone want to restore 150-year-old windows? Well, I, the, the question basically answers itself. Uh, that window has been in existence and functional, and functional to a degree for 150 years. With maintenance and care, it can last another 150 years, and we're not creating a cycle of having to replace the windows every 20 to 30 years when they fail, um, which is about the service life of most replacement windows. What makes the 150-year-old window so durable? Uh, it's really the materials that were used to build them. Uh, up until about the 1940s, um, the wood being used was all old-growth wood. The wood, the trees have grown for hundreds of years, uh, and the, the wood is extremely dense in, um, in the old-growth trees. So if you look at the growth rings in the end of a piece of wood, of old growth wood, you can find 20, 30, 40 growth rings per inch. Whereas in the modern lumber that we can purchase at the lumber yard today, uh, you'll be lucky to get eight to 10 growth rings per inch. Can, can you find any old growth wood to make windows now? Uh, no, I, there are some old growth trees out there. In most instances, they are protected and, and nobody wants to have them cut down. Um, we generally have started using salvaged woods from buildings that are being take, taken down to cut our sash parts from in uh, for uh, reproduction work. When you first meet with a homeowner or a facilities manager, what issues and concerns and or preconceptions about windows do they often present to you? Uh, uh, we almost invariably hear about those drafty old windows that don't work. Um, most people... Their windows have not been well maintained. Uh, they're painted in place. And people have decided that that means they're completely useless. Where does the draft come from? Well, oftentimes we find that the top sash uh, has dropped down a little bit and uh, it's been painted in place. And I think people don't actually notice that there's like an eighth inch of airspace over the top rail. Um, and between the round of frame. So you say you knucklehead, you left the window open, no wonder it's cold? <laughs> oh yeah, totally. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we explain that that we can take their windows and, and clean them up and reglaze them and all that if necessary. 
Uh, we can refit them to the frame, we can weather strip them to add some energy efficiency, and we can make them work again. Um, and that they will be required to do some maintenance to keep them that way. How much of it is just taking a, a knife and, and unsticking the paint? A, a large portion, unsticking the paint, and then uh, we take the sash out and scrape off all of that excess paint that's built up in the seams. And how, and how durable are the the chains and pulleys? They're they're reasonably durable. They do break, but the the beauty of the old weight and pulley counterbalance system is it's uh, endlessly repairable. Simple. And at what point is it determined that a window restoration is not your best option, but a replication and replacement is? Do you have a checklist of variables to help you make that decision? Good question. Uh, most historic window restorers will say that we haven't met a window we couldn't preserve and restore. Um, but the reality is there are times when it becomes cost prohibitive. Uh, uh, there's an example of a housing complex um, that I looked at where in the last, when they renovated it to make it low-income housing, they, they really cut the windows up in an effort to make it more energy efficient. And over the years, it proved to be not really that well done, but the cost to, to rebuild those windows would have been way too expensive. Are, are people hip to um, single pane using storms? Yes. Um, heat retention is big. So what determines whether you reglaze the windows rather than refurbish the whole thing? Um, basically, the condition of the window. And in some instances, we just go in, uh, clean up the windows, uh, repair the counterbalance system, and add weather stripping because everything else is in good shape. Um, reglazing, yeah, I love jobs where that's all that's necessary. Oftentimes, though, I encounter windows that the paint is falling off of and the glazing is almost gone, and, and they really do require a refurbishment because they've been um, not maintained for decades. What are some of the most historic and interesting buildings that you've worked on? Um, some of the ones, and, and these are not all window jobs. Uh, I've worked on a couple of estate properties. Uh, one is the Justin Morrill Homestead in Stratford. Um, and we worked actually on a skylight and laylights for them. Um, and that was particularly fun because the glass in the laylights were copper, uh, copper wheel engraved, which was not a process I'd ever uh, encountered before. Um, I've worked on the Theron Boyd House down in Queechee, Vermont. Um, we did some teaching there, uh, and it was built in the late 18th century, but part of it wasn't finished until the early 19th century. And it's a great combination of one side is trimmed out in federal Georgian trim, and then the other side is trimmed out in federal trim, all in the same house, which makes it really fun. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, one of the first questions a preservationist has to answer is, to what period do we preserve back to, uh, especially when there have been several interventions over 200 years? Always. And I would add that, you know, you were asking about a checklist of, of what we look for in windows. One of the questions I ask first, are they original or are they second generation or third generation to the building? And how does that impact the history of the building? Um, you mentioned that you're a teacher. Who are you teaching? Um, I generally teach window restoration through Historic Windsor. Um, and I've done some plaster preservation classes through some uh, historical societies. And then in addition to window restoration, you're doing plaster work and mill work. 
How did that come about? Well, I went to the North Bend Street School for Preservation, so we learned kind of all phases of preservation. Um, when I got out into the field in Vermont, um, they actually really needed somebody who could restore windows. So I started in on windows, and then I um, met Roy Brennan, uh, who is the uh, the guy in charge of Big Wally's Plaster Magic. Uh, he taught me plaster preservation using acrylic adhesives as a consolidant. Um, and I worked with him for quite a few years and uh, then moved into doing my own plaster preservation work. And the architectural millwork, <laughs> here I keep going. I worked for Lilton Millwork, which was a very high-end reproduction window and door and cabinetry company uh, for about seven years when I first moved up here. A few years ago, Sally, I was asked to give a speech at the Texas Historical Society's annual conference in Austin, and the topic they wanted me to talk about, and this was their title for my session, The Death of Craftsmanship. And I said, really? That's not a very uplifting title for a keynote presentation to a hotel ballroom full of preservationists. In your role as a preservation trades teacher, can you claim that craftsmanship is alive and well with a new generation of tradespeople? I, I would say it definitely is. Um, we, we are lacking in the number of tradespeople we have trained on the ground because there's a generation aging out. Um, but uh, there are a lot of people who are interested in getting into it. Um, and there's a, definitely a resurgence in hand tool use. Uh, just look to the outer world, uh, groups like Mortis and Tenon, fine woodworking are all pushing hand tool courses, and those are the basic tools, you, you know, a lot of the basic skills that you need to be able to do restoration work. What do you think is behind the younger generation's interest in working with their hands? <laughs> Sick of computers? <laughs> Maybe. I, I, and it's, I, I can't actually say it's all the younger generation. I think there are, I've met quite a few people who are mid-career who decide to go into a, a hand trade. Um, it probably is a reaction to computers. Um, I think there's also, um, for a long time, the push was for people to go to college. Um, and we've lost a lot of people wanting to go into the trades. And that's starting to come back around. Um, to getting people into the trades uh, and the academic education is not for everybody. And a lot of us really enjoy um, working with our hands. One of the great things you're doing, Sally, is bringing the dignity back to the trades. Well, thank you. <laughs> the work is beautiful and the, and, and the work is satisfying for the, for the trades person. Um, is there much demand for plastering? Actually, I've, I've been doing a lot more plastering lately than, um, window restoration, in part because the two of my competitors in plaster preservation are no longer doing it in the state of Vermont, and that kind of moved me up in the in the queue. Um, so yes, we, we're doing a lot of meeting houses. In fact, we just finished doing plaster preservation in the Chandler Music Hall in Randolph, Vermont. Um, and that makes the point about the trades aging out, but uh, people like yourself and, and even younger are, are filling in. Um, well, thank you, Sally. This has been interesting. Nice to see you again. Uh, thanks again for your contribution to historic preservation. Well, thank you. And, and, uh, and thanks for having me on. This is, this is a, a fun conversation and I always love being able to plug uh, my profession, which I do thoroughly enjoy. <laughs> we enjoy it too. Thanks so much. You're welcome. 
Thank you for joining us today. I'm Pete Miller, and you're listening to Building Tradition, brought to you by Traditional Building Magazine. Subscribe on Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast. Thank you.